Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, and whether you call Collective your church home or you are just checking us out, we hope you are encouraged and inspired to take the next step in your journey toward the grace and truth of Jesus. For more information about Collective, you can visit us online at mycollective.church or follow us on social media at mycollectivechurch. Now, let's get into today's message. Guess what today is? It's T-shirt day! Some of you have been waiting for this. This is the only reason why you're still going to Collective. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, so let me explain. Today is the day when we are handing out a specially designed 1745 t-shirt. So after church today, we'll have a table set up outside. We can go out and grab them really quickly. I've been told that we're running out of certain sizes, but don't worry if that is your size. We will order one specially for you because you are here today. Um, so they have a list out there. You can, you can write that down. Um, now, if you're a first-time guest today, uh, this is a great day to be here because you get one of the most comfortable shirts you'll ever wear. If you're a second-time guest, you get two of the most comfortable shirts in the world. So grab them both. You don't have to choose one or the other. Uh, they're both equally, equally great. These are uh, limited design. We will never print these again, except for those of you who don't have your size here today. Um, they'll not be handed out next week either. So make sure to grab yours today. Uh, it's one per person as well. So if you had a friend that you're like, hey, it's T-shirt Sunday, you need to be here, and they didn't show up, or family, uh, you just have to tell them, too bad, so sad, they missed out. Now, I do want to share with you all the meaning behind these shirts. So the city of Frederick was founded in 1745. And you'll notice inside the numbers, it's the map of the city that we love. And the reason why we chose this number for the shirts instead of like the year collective was founded or something significant to us was because we realized that God began to do incredible work in this city the moment it was founded. We are not doing new work in Frederick, but continuing work that God has been doing for well over 270 years. And this number is a reminder that the Frederick that God sees campaign isn't just about collective. It's about what God has done in the city and will continue to do if we have faith that's bold. So make sure to grab your shirt because we're so glad you're here with us today. Now, I'm going to send a quick message to all those in podcast and YouTube land that are going to listen to this in a few weeks. Uh, Guys, if you weren't here Sorry, we don't have shirts for you. You should have been here on Sunday morning like these wonderful people. Thank you. A few years ago, I heard a story about a man named David Livingston. And Livingston lived in England in the mid-1800s. And growing up, he wanted to become a preacher, but his first sermon went so poorly that they kicked him off stage and told him he would never be allowed to preach again. And then they suggested, find a new career. Now, I've gotten criticism before for my preaching, but nothing that harsh. In fact, in college, I was in a preaching class, and the number one criticism I got was that I said crap too many times. You'll be glad to know I chose to ignore that feedback. Now, back to Livingston. With preaching not truly being an option, he decided to become a doctor, but he never lost his heart for evangelism, for letting people who are far from God know that God loves you, that Jesus offers endless second chances, and that you don't have, your, have to get your crap together to experience the freedom that Jesus offers. So what he did was he became a doctor and he moved to Africa to be a missionary. And he served there for over three decades. But when he was 60 years old, he became very ill and ended up dying. The people he served were so dedicated and loyal to him, they decided to get his body back to England so that he could be buried at home. And so they packed up his body. They carried it over 1,000 miles to the coast where they put it on a ship and sent him back to England. Now, he did such a great work in Africa that he is now buried at Westminster Abbey in London, which is a huge honor. 
Uh, in fact, in 2002, David Livingston was named among one of the 100 greatest Britons of all time for work that he didn't even do in his home country. He did somewhere else. But they did kind of a weird thing. Before they ever took his body back to the coast so he could be buried in England, they cut it open. They took out his heart, put his heart in a tin can, dug a hole in the ground under an African teak tree, and they buried his heart there. For they said his body will go back to England, but his heart will forever be in Africa. Today, I want to talk to you about your heart. And when I talk about your heart, I don't mean your physical heart, but your emotions and your passions and the things that you care about. And what we're going to see today is that your heart is inseparably tied to your money. Now, before I lose any of you, just hear me out. Because this is one of those teachings that even if you don't think that Jesus died for your sin, you're going to still want to apply this. Right? Even if you don't think Jesus raised from the dead, even if you think church is a joke and you're here today because a family member or a friend convinced you for free t-shirts, you're still going to want to apply what Jesus teaches to your life. And here's why. We're going to talk about generosity. And in our culture, most of the time, if not all the time, when anyone talks about being generous in any context, whether it's in church or outside of church, whatever, it's connected to guilt and shame. Right, the primary tool that people use in our culture to get you to be generous is guilt. We played this video last year during a series called Unleash. But you've seen these types of videos before, right? A sad dog stares out the window, wishing for a home that can only truly be yours. Right, at some point a washed up pop star begins to talk and you're wondering, I, like, are they still alive? I thought they were dead. But the truth is, like, they begin to use this guilt. They tell you, like, if you don't take care of this dog, nobody else will. Right? And the truth is, that's not even a real video. That's a stock photo. But some of you are like, how do I buy that dog? But that's what our culture does. Right? They guilt you. Just the other day, I was driving through Taco Bell. And after I ordered, they asked if I wanted to donate a dollar to help a student go to college. And I was like, no. I got my own loans to do. I'm not going to pay for somebody else to go to college. And then in the drive from the speaker to the window, I felt like a terrible human being. And so they opened it up. I was like, I changed my mind. I want to help a kid go to college. Like, sorry, like we already processed your order. You have to buy something else. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm buying more Taco Bell to help give a dollar to somebody to go to college. But that is typical for our culture. Our culture says, how can we make people feel guilty so that they will be generous? So if you want to forever separate guilt and manipulation from generosity, regardless of what you believe, regardless if you, whether or not you are a part of collective, regardless of what you give to, you're going to want to learn and apply what Jesus teaches today. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 6. He says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. In other words, where your money goes, your heart will follow. A few weeks ago, I was working through this sermon with a friend of mine, and I was explaining that I was going to use this verse, but I actually quoted it to him backwards. I said, where your heart is, that is where your treasure will be. Right? And it's a complete Freudian slip, but here's what I realized. We say and do the opposite of what Jesus teaches. Right? We say where your heart is, that is where your treasure will be. And even if we don't say it out loud, we live as if it's heart first and then treasure. But Jesus says it's actually treasure and then heart. Now, if it was heart first and then treasure, generosity would be easier. Let's just be honest. Because I wouldn't really have to think about it. I wouldn't have to be disciplined. If I was emotionally worked up, I would give to something and then I'd be done with it and I would move on. In fact, on a surface level, we really want it to be heart first and then treasure. But that's dangerous. If it's heart first and then treasure, your giving might not actually accomplish what you hope it will. 
There's a book called When Helping Hurts. It actually talks about this topic. And the author talks about how if your giving comes from guilt and shame, you may not accomplish what you think it does, right? Because how do you know they're using their money with integrity? How do you know there's really a need, right? They tell you there's a need, but how do you actually know what the need is? How do you know that what you're giving them in that moment of emotion, that moment you pick up your phone or click that button, that actually goes to what you're saying that it goes to? If it's heart first and then treasure, there's a real danger that your generosity won't actually accomplish the things that you think it will that your emotions are telling you to do. Here's what this looks like at Collective. As a church, we give away 10% of our general offering. Uh, Another way to think about this is that Collective as a church actually tithes. And we give our money away to just a few organizations. It includes two organizations that help start churches in the Mid-Atlantic region. It includes a church plant in Haiti. And almost everything else goes to the Frederick Rescue Mission and West Frederick Middle School. And we do this because we trust these organizations. We have relationships with these organizations. We know the needs. And by supporting them, our heart for these organizations has grown immensely. You know, in the beginning, it was just there's this need that we wanted to take care of. Now we have relationships. We know the heartbeat of these organizations. What that does is it's led to more opportunities for us to support them and care for them, both with volunteers and financially. And here's why you should be glad that Jesus is right. Because if it's heart first and then treasure, guilt would always be the best motivator. See, if the best way to be generous is heart first and then treasure, then anyone who wants your money can just make you feel guilty, right? They play Sarah McLaughlin music or show you sad pictures or tell you a sob story and convince you that you are the person that has to solve this problem. And if you are not, you're a bad person. If it was heart first and then treasure, the people who would get your money would be the people who are most capable of manipulating your emotions, Now, some of you are struggling with this teaching already because you give to organizations because you feel guilty. Organizations and people have made you feel bad, and that's led to you being generous. And for a moment, that is actually true. For a moment, that guilt actually did lead to generosity, but it doesn't last. It created a moment of generosity, but but it does not build a culture of generosity in your life. That is why if someone uses guilt to manipulate you into being generous, they have to make you feel even worse the next time. Right? If you think about those videos about the dogs, in the beginning it was just like a celebrity and a sad puppy, and now it's like emaciated animals because what they've realized is they have to manipulate, manipulate you even more now. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't communicate with emotion or paint a realistic picture if you're trying to create opportunities for people to be generous. I'm just saying that if your heart leads your treasure, you are setting yourself up for failure. In fact, studies have been shown to those who are strategically generous and plan out how much they want to give, always give more every time over the long haul in comparison to people who only give when their emotions actually prompt them to. And when you think about your life, you already know that this is true. I'm not convincing you anything that you don't already feel. When you spend money on something, you begin to care about it more. If you don't spend money on something, you don't care as much. This past summer, uh, we got a new pallet wall for the lobby. And the old one was getting beat up, and it was heavy. And to be honest, it was kind of a death trap. Uh, So the morning we got it set up, my wife came in to paint Welcome to Collective on it. And as she started to paint, something was off. The the paint wasn't working. We couldn't quite figure out what was going on. And so I was so frustrated, I grabbed the quart of paint, and I began to shake it. What I didn't realize was that the lid was only placed on the can and not actually sealed, and paint went everywhere. Like, it was in my hair, it was on my backpack, my shirt, it was all over the ground. But between my t-shirt and my backpack, the thing I was most upset about was the shirt. It was new. I'd literally just gone to the Under Armour outlet and picked it up with my own money, with my own budget. 
The backpack, on the other hand, was a gift. Now, I love the backpack, but I was so much more upset about the shirt because I spent my own money on it. In fact, the shirt still sits in my closet reminding me of my disappointment. But I wear the backpack every single day, and it doesn't impact me at all. Why? Because it's treasure and then heart. And we know this. And this has some implications. It means I choose what to care about. You are not a victim when it comes to generosity. Jesus teaches that it's treasure and then heart. You decide what you care about. Because where you put your treasure, it's what you value. Now, if it's treasure than heart, like Jesus teaches, that means I have to be in it for the long haul. And I think one of the best comparisons is marriage. If you want to have a healthy, long-lasting marriage, you don't just follow your heart. Right? That could lead to you having an affair if you become emotionally or physically attracted to someone else. That could lead to bitterness if your spouse changes or doesn't meet certain expectations. So what do you do in a marriage? You make a decision to serve your spouse regardless of how you're feeling. And what happens? Your heart follows. Over time, you gain more sympathy for your spouse. You're more patient with your spouse. You end up caring for them emotionally because you made a decision to care about them with your actions. See, if it's treasure and then heart, I have to make a decision to be in it for the long haul because my heart will go through seasons. The truth is sometimes, and we know this, sometimes it takes our heart a while to catch up. One more warning about this. If it's treasure and then heart, sometimes you'll look foolish to the other people around you. And here's why. My heart wants stuff today. I want a new car today. I want a bigger house today. I want to go on vacation today. But a lot of people in this room are in debt because they followed their heart. Now, quick commercial, if that's you, if you're out of control with your finances because you have followed your heart, I'm going to tell you about Financial Peace University. FPU is an eight-week group. We've done two of them before. It's been incredible. But in February 2020, we're going to be kicking off our third FPU. And if you have followed your heart when it comes to your spending, and because of that, you're in trouble, you will want to sign up for this class. And so in January, sign-ups will be in the lobby. You'll be able to join that. But it'll give you practical tools of how to beat that and build wealth and truly stop following your heart. Now, if you want to be somebody who does treasure and then heart, if you want to hop off the guilt train and that cycle of giving when somebody makes you feel guilty enough, the Bible teaches three ways for you to be generous. Three ways for you to do treasure and then heart. And I want you to write these things down on your phone or program, grab this. Because if you want to become a generous person, if you want to truly be generous... And this is regardless of if you give to this church. It's regardless of whether or not you follow Jesus. These are timeless principles of how you can become a generous person. The first is this, priority generosity, meaning you give to the most important things in your life first. Now, the truth is, if you actually thought about that in your own life and you actually went through your own finances and realized, what do I give to first? Most likely the things that financially are priorities for you, you would not say are priorities. Right? But the Bible teaches priority generosity. And when you think about it, that, that's what we do. We spend our money on the things that matter the most to us. Right? And for some people, that might seem weird. You might have a really big house but not spend money on clothes. You might have a really nice bike but a really crappy car because it's all about our priorities. And so the Bible teaches us to make generosity a priority. Proverbs 3 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. And so people who follow Jesus are called to give before we make our house payment, before we buy our groceries, and definitely before we pay our Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus bills, because it's a priority. To be honest, that's why 60% of the people that go to this church, including me and my family, we give online and recurring. And I do that because it's a priority. I want to set it and let it go. I want it to be the first thing that matters. The second way that Jesus teaches us to have our treasure lead our heart is percentage generosity. 
And the truth is, this is how you know you are generous. And the reason why it's healthy in terms of percentage instead of amount is because your income will change. Right? Studies have actually shown that in the median income bracket in the United States, which is around $50,000, the average household that makes $50,000 gives away 6% of their income to charity, which, to be honest, is actually pretty good. But when you go up, the average household in the United States that makes $200,000 as their average household income gives away only 4% of their income to charity. And the reason why is because people think dollar amount and not percentage. But this comes straight from the Bible. This is a biblical teaching. Uh, before Jesus, the Jews were taught to, and raised to give away 10% of their income. This is called a tithe. Malachi 3 says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. At Collective, we require that our staff, our management team, and even the people who count money in this church, we require that they tithe. In fact, it was pointed out to me by our finance team leader that if every adult that called Collective their church home gave 10% to this church, we wouldn't even have to do this campaign. We'd have enough to do what we feel like God is challenging us and asking us to do. So what Jesus does, is he actually takes this teaching about a tithe and he elevates it. He comes along and says, be generous. He says, you give as it has been given to you. Right? He didn't command a certain percentage, but since through Jesus we have grace and assurance of salvation, we put our faith in him and we have the church and the Holy Spirit, I think it's reasonable to realize that we have been way more blessed than the people who came before him. And so we teach percentage generosity. One time, Jesus is at the temple with his disciples, like his boys, his group. And what was custom is that in the temple, there'd be offering baskets at the back. And Jesus sees the rich person go and he puts a really big check in. But after that, he actually sees a single mom go in and she puts in two coins. And he circles up his disciples. He gets them again. He points out the single mom. He says, do you see that woman over there? She actually put in more than everybody else. But what is Jesus talking about? Right, because she didn't really put in more money than anybody else. The rich guy put in a bigger check. What Jesus is teaching is that she gave a bigger percentage than everybody else. It wasn't a dollar amount that he was praising. It was percentage. So if you want to be generous, I would encourage you to pick a percentage and start giving that. Now, if you're giving just a dollar amount, I would encourage you to figure out what percentage that is and figure out how you can grow when it comes to your generosity. And the third principle is this, progressive generosity. And here's a problem I've seen in our culture. Very few people would consider themselves rich, but almost everybody would consider themselves generous. Right? If the truth is, if I asked you, raise your hand if you feel like you're a generous person, like all of us would raise our hands or at least be nervous about raising it and raise it anyways. But very few people, if I asked you, do you feel like you're rich, would, would raise their hands. But the truth is we've actually gotten it backwards. Because if you compare your income to the standard of living of people around the world, you are very rich. We live in the top 2% in the world. But when you compare giving to some extremely generous people, some of us who think we are generous, we're not. But the good news is when it comes to generosity, there is no finish line. And so the goal is to always give more because you want to grow in your generosity. It's just like faith. It's just like anything else that you do in your life, there's growth. And so we teach progressive generosity. The way to have your treasure lead your heart is to practice priority, percentage, and progressive generosity. Now, so far, this hasn't actually been about collective at all. Everything I've said is true just about the human race. Uh, I think you are wise to implement this in your life, whether you follow Jesus or not, whether this is your church or not. These are just good principles to have. But Jesus' point is simply this. If you want to be a generous person, however, whenever, whatever, think treasure and then heart. 
Now, part of the reason I'm talking about this, though, is if you're part of Collective or you've been around the last few weeks, is because we're doing a capital campaign called The Frederick That God Sees. In this campaign, the goal is to raise money so that Collective can get its own 24-7 space by the end of 2020. And so let me remind you a couple of the details. Our goal is to raise $250,000 over the next 11 months above our regular giving. And to reach this goal, we're asking that on Commitment Weekend, which is next weekend, November 17th, that you fill out a commitment card with what you plan and what you can give to this campaign. And there are three ways that we're challenging people to give if you call Collective your church home. If this is not your church home, you can ignore me right now or just listen like it's an insider view. But this is for people who call Collective their church. And so one way is regularly, meaning what can you give over the course of 11 months above your normal giving? The second is boldly. We're asking people who call Collective their church home next weekend to give the biggest donation that they've ever given in the history of this church. And the third is creatively. Because maybe you're in a situation where you feel like you're stretched thin, but you want to be a part of this, and there's a way that you can give creatively. And I said this two weeks ago. I know it sounds crazy, but we've had friends do campaigns, and creative giving is kind of what put them over the top. On your seat when you came in today, there's a commitment card. And we don't want you to fill it out today. Some of you, if you're an extrovert, you probably already filled it out already. But what we want you to do is we want you to take this home and just pray about it. Pray about your involvement in this campaign. Pray about this church what we feel like God is leading us to do. The next week you can come back, you can bring that back with you or we'll have extras on site. You can actually even go online if you're just not a paper person you wanna do digital. But either way, we're just asking right now that you take this home and you put it in a place in your house so you can take seven days to pray about how God is challenging you, how God is leading you, but really pray for what God wants to do in our city. But let me remind you the good news about this. Because we are a place that believes it is treasure and then heart, there is no guilt. You don't need to feel guilty about what you are or aren't giving. And listen, if you're skeptical about this whole thing or you've been burned by church before or this is going to somehow turn you away from Jesus, just don't give. Seriously, don't give. This isn't about guilt. See, I purposely preached the message on generosity this week after I preached sermons on our vision to seek and save lost people. And last week as we talked about grace, because those messages are what we try to communicate every single week at Collective. Right? We tell you every single week, there's nothing you can do to make God love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. And that is why this church has started. And so this is where we, as a church, put our treasure, because that's where our heart is. It's for lost and broken people. That means in this campaign, whether you do or don't or can't or won't, God still loves you, and he still will show you grace. It also means that we, as a church, still love you, and we will still show you grace. But I will tell you this. If this is where you want your heart to be, this is where your treasure should be. And that's truly Jesus' message. Wherever you want your heart to be, throw your treasure at it and see what he can do. And here's the reason we're giving to this campaign. And it's a very logical decision based on this truth. We believe that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. And that's it. That's why we're doing this. And because he did that, everything matters. Not just in heaven one day, but everything right here, right now. And so I give to this church because Jesus rose again. And because he rose again, I know that he will give hope and healing and guidance and grace. And so I want my heart to care about the things that Jesus cares about. And he cares about the person who's been told by every religious person in their life that they're not good enough. And Jesus wants to tell that person, but God is good enough. And that's all that matters. Jesus cares about the person that can't beat the addiction no matter how many times they try. He says, I'll beat it for you. You just have to trust me. Jesus cares about the marriage that feels stale and broken beyond repair. 
He says, receive my grace, pour that into your marriage and watch it come alive. And Jesus cares about my friends, Kristen Chelsea Davis, who four years ago experienced tragedy beyond understanding. And Jesus kept saying, don't give up, keep pushing, I'm here with you. Listen to Kristen Chelsea tell their story. So I've been playing music uh, live since I was about 11 years old. I started touring around 19, 20 years old. And by 21, I joined my first signed band and started touring uh, about nine to 10 months out of the year internationally. In February of 2015, I flew out to Las Vegas for my first practice uh, with the Ghost Inside um, to leave for my first tour with them a full U.S. tour, and then we went straight to Europe after that, did another European tour. Took maybe two months off to prepare for a fall tour. Three weeks, maybe four into the tour. Played a show in Lubbock, Texas. Great show. Everybody was hanging out on the bus afterwards, and I just remember everybody going to sleep. And then the next morning, around 8 or 9 a.m., uh, I woke up to a crunch, bang, explosion sound. Our tour bus was in a head-on collision with a semi. Both drivers sadly passed. All 10 of the members and crew members that were in the bus were all severely injured. Our guitar player lost half of his foot. Pelvis basically exploded. He had like over 16 hours of surgery just, just on his pelvis alone. Our singer had a pretty extensive head injury and burns all over his body, um, and it basically changed our lives forever. I was at work. My friend actually called me, and little did she know, she was giving me a phone call letting me know that it even happened. I immediately went online to try to see where they were, because I he was traveling the country. I didn't even know what city he was in previously. And when I went online to find out the first things that popped up were just pictures of the accident. I had heard from their bassist. He called me and said, I'm in the ambulance with Chris. He just has a broken ankle and everyone walked out and we're all okay. He had finally gotten to call me and I was just sobbing. The majority of the people involved were in the ICU. Most of them were in comas, so in my mind, People didn't just walk out of the bus. They essentially told me that I had two broken ankles, my right foot was essentially shattered and was gonna require extensive surgery. And at this point, I'm thinking that I'm gonna lose my foot. I finally saw another doctor who got me in a few more days overnight in the hospital. More pain than I, physical pain, than I had anticipated or had ever experienced before in my life. Three months of multiple times a week rehab just to be able to get back up on my feet to walk down the aisle on our wedding day. And even then it was still, you know, on my feet for 30 minutes and then I was toast for the rest of the day. Really later when the depression I think truly hit was when things started to get really, really, really hard. You know, I've been doing music and pursuing it as not just my passion, but as a career for almost 20 years now. I was at the point where I was gonna be able to help support our family. 
and then to just have it all ripped away in a matter of seconds was like way harder to cope with than I could have ever imagined as well. I would come home from work and immediately go downstairs to where I knew he was because I was terrified that I would find him downstairs dead. Just so depressed that I thought he was at that point in his life. I didn't know what to do other than just cry out to God for help, honestly. We started coming to Collective early 2018 and fell in love with it. It was really the only church that we went to after trying multiple churches that we felt at home. I'd always believe in God, I would pray, occasionally open a Bible, but it just wasn't part of my regular weekly routine to go to church. Uh, so when we started coming to Collective, I just felt like I like I, I finally fit in at church. Like I wasn't being judged for the clothes I was wearing or my tattoos or the music that I listened to. Uh, I just, I finally felt at home and I finally was like this, this to me is what loving Jesus is supposed to be like. April of 2018 celebrated the 10 year anniversary of the band and then had our first practice since the accident went way better than any of us could have ever anticipated it would, being that our drummer's now playing with one leg and we hadn't played together in the same room for, at that point, three years. We decided to do one show in this venue that we thought was gonna be too big, was scary, and the tickets went on sale and they sold out in three minutes. 4,500 tickets in three minutes. I, I sat in my studio and cried. There was about 8,000 people at the show. Parker was born in December of 2017, and the comeback show happened in July of 2019. I would daydream about what it would be like to be able to have him at a show someday, if that show were ever to happen. So being able to have my entire family at the show, including Chelsea and Parker, was like probably the most meaningful thing to happen that night for me. To be able to look over and see the two of them standing on the side of the stage watching me was, you know, all I wanted more than anything was just to be able to share my passion with my kid. And I got to do it. I think we're all just thankful to still be here. In pieces, you know, missing limbs, scarred, broken, but we're here. Having a place that we know that we feel safe and comfortable and know that Parker is going to have an incredible life with everyone here is, is truly amazing. I can't speak highly enough about <laughs> how they've supported us through this journey and just been so understanding. My bass player, he's been saying since the accident that Everybody has their bus crash, you know, everybody has the worst day of their life. Uh, it's just all about how you pick up the pieces and move on from that. I mean, Collective really brought us to this point. I mean, I can't imagine where we'd be without it. Everyone has their bus crash moment. Jesus said it like this in John 16. He says, here on earth, 
You'll have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. That is why this church exists, to remind people that Jesus has overcome the world, that there's a God who loves us unconditionally and promises us he will never leave us or forsake us, even in those moments in our life where we're not sure if anything is real anymore. So that when people need grace, people know there's a church where they can find it. So that when we hit rock bottom, there's a community to pick us up. So that when we don't know what else to do, there are people who can point us toward the hope that Jesus offers. That is where we want our heart to be. So that is where we want to throw our treasure. And I hope that you join us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much um, for what you're able to do in our lives. God, what we've seen you do in the lives of the people around us, what we've seen you do in this church. Um, God, we all know the truth that everybody has their bus crash moment. God, some of us are sitting in that moment right now. Some of us have been fighting to get out of that moment for years. But God, we're just so thankful that no matter where we are in that journey, we know that you love us. God, that you're here with us. God, that you came to give us hope. Because this world is hard. God, there are trials and there are sorrows. There's just so much pain but you promised us that you sent your son to come and overcome that pain and overcome the world. So God, I pray that as individuals and as a people, God, that we decide that that's where we want our heart to be. God, for lost and broken people, for people who need hope, for people who need community, for people who need grace. And God, because of that, I pray that we can just be generous. God, we can see what you can do, which is so much better than anything that we could ever do. God, we're thankful that we get to be a part of something that's so much bigger than us. God, we know what you want to do in this city. God, you've been doing it for a very long time, and we get to play a very small piece of it. But God, I pray that we continue to play that small piece of it as you seek and save lost people in this city. God, we thank you, and we love you, and pray these things in your name. Amen.